Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today, we've got the gang back together, and we're not talking about Wasp. You might be surprised. This is not always the Wasp cast, that we do still have a few albums to go through on that little adventure. We'll be doing similar for other bands and their catalogs, especially for... Uh, you know, certain bands that are close to our hearts and, you know, friends as well. So it should be fun. So hopefully you'll tune into that. This episode, well, before we get into this, I do want to promote a friend's single that is out. It is a double-sided single that's up on Bandcamp, and it is Ken Sharp, who you may know as a music author. He's written Brian Wilson biography he's obviously done a lot of work with kiss he's written a cheap trick book in the past big fan of power pop so he's got a new single out which is a cover of paul stanley's 1978 solo album song hold me touch me and also on the a side gene simmons mr make-believe now you can listen to both of these songs on Bandcamp. Um, and i'm gonna chuck in a little ad here that's got all the details you think you've heard Ken Sharp? You've not heard Ken Sharp. The new Ken Sharp double side single featuring Ken's interpretation of Paul Stanley's Hold Me, Touch Me, and Gene Simmons' Mr. Make Believe is available now. It's also available as a very limited edition vinyl single with picture sleeve in black and multiple colors of vinyl. Check out these new songs and the rest of his music at kensharp.bandcamp.com. All right, so hopefully you'll check that out. He'll be doing a very limited edition vinyl pressing for that single, which uh, you can email him at the details that were mentioned on his website if you are so inclined. All right, let's get into today's episode, which is Mark's pick. Mark, what did you pick for us, and why did you put us through this? Well, this album is one that's very dear to my heart. I'll show you first what it is. Uh, it is Blue Murder. Yes, I have it on vinyl. Not easy to find on vinyl, you know, just for people out there who might be interested later to get it. Uh, yes, it's a very late 80s album, as you can tell by their clothing. Uh, this album uh, impacted me quite a bit, like a, a lot. I mean, as a guitar player... I think if you if I'm gonna cite anybody as an influence on me as a guitar player, John Sykes is right up there with Alex Lifeson, with Paul Gilbert, and with Tony Iommi for for me as a guitar player. I mean his tone, and his soloing, just completely like literally knocked me off the chair when I heard it the first time. And the first time I actually heard it was thanks to Columbia Record House, who had sent me. A cassette copy of it, much to my chagrin at first. I was like, "What the hell is this? I didn't order this." So I put it into the tape deck, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like it, it literally like stopped me in my tracks when I heard it the first time. Like this is fantastic. And then when I did a bit more digging deeper into it, I realized this was the same guy who played guitar on the White Snake 787 album. And then it all made sense to me. I'm like, okay, well, this is the guy who actually wrote that record. David Coverdale did Dick All, obviously, on that record. It was all John Sykes, pretty much. You know, as far as songwriting goes and the guitar, I mean, just listen to it. Just add a bit more reverb to it, and it's just pretty much the same thing in a lot of ways. The the, the ballad is almost could be dumped onto the White Snake album easily, right? And his guitar playing is just stellar on this record. You know, uh, I I really loved it, and my friend also ended up getting it from Columbia House as well. He got it on vinyl though because he kept getting vinyl from Columbia House, and it's uh. We were both shocked by it. It was just a fantastic record. I mean, uh, I'm very curious to see what you guys think of it because I, I, I'm smelling a little bit of tomatoes coming my way on this record. But, you know, I, I really, really love this record. All right. So I wasn't too thrilled when you picked this one, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I remember hearing it back in the day and... I, I'm going to take exception to something that you said that John Sykes basically wrote the 1987 White Snake album. That is false. 
That is fake news. Crying in the rain? Hmm? Here I go again? Okay, well, okay, so those were on the hmm? other elms, but I mean, basically, he bettered <laughs> those, but the rest of them? Okay, so. Bad boys. Y- y- the, the, the there night. are a few. That's, not, that's no Marsden, and, you know, that's for sure. Yeah, that's not no Moody and Marsden, that's for sure. All right, so Blue Murder. Let's just do a quick history of this band. It was formed when guitarist Sean Sykes was sacked from Whitesnake in 1986. Of course, he had recorded 1987 with the band. He'd also done all the overdubs. Was it him or Vandenberg who did all the overdubs on the Abomination of Slide It In? Um, You know, his sonic signature is all over 1987 in terms of guitar work, in terms of writing. Um, But that album is actually, that's got to be a show on its own because that era Mm -hmm. of Whitesnake, I do want to talk about separately, perhaps album by album as well, if we can find a panel that wants to go from 1977 onwards uh so he initially worked with cozy powell tony franklin of course who did stay with the band and vocalist ray gillen that was when i first became aware of the band that there was in the rock mags ray gillen had exited sabbath and was apparently going to hook up with sykes and work with him on a project and i was like i loved ray gillen um so i was like really excited about that i didn't know who the fuck john sykes was at that point so i i really didn't care it was about the vocalist um though he soon left and kind of formed well badlands wasn't it so mm-hmm. um pal left and went to work with black sabbath on the headless cross so then sykes rejuggles the lineup gets uh carmen a piece and vocalist tony martin now, Tony Martin then soon departs and goes to Sabbath. So you're going to see some of the threads that I'm going to be talking about a lot in this, because in that era, it all kind of fits together nicely. Now, sitting back and listening to this album for a few weeks and getting familiar with it. So Sykes falls into the vocal spot by default because they did do some auditions of vocalists, but didn't find someone that they uh, thought was was uh, suitable. Lonnie. What were your thoughts? When Mark said, let's, let's do a show on Blue Murder. Um, what were your thoughts and what do you, did you know anything about them? My thoughts were, really? Blue Murder? That's, that's have, have we done like 300 of these already that were down to the Blue Murder episode of the show? <laughs> but I had heard of Blue Murder. I, I mean, I was eight years old in 1987 and, and I knew of Guns N' Roses. I knew of Poison. I knew of, of bands like that. My, I, I hadn't really gone real deep. Um, I, I didn't know about this band at the time. And I really didn't know about this band until, until I um, got a subscription to Sirius Radio when Stern moved to, to Sirius in 2006. And, you know, they had Hair Nation. So I would, I listened to a lot of Hair Nation when I first got my Sirius subscription and they and they would play a, a blue murder tune and you know and I guess they still do from time to time. It's my first um, introduction to the band was was 2006 to be perfectly honest with you guys. So um, in 2006 when I heard Blue Murder, did I go seek out the album? No, I did not. So um, I knew what I knew going into this episode of, of Blue Murder. So I I. I, it was it was a learning ex- well it was a it was a new experience for me, so we'll say that. A new it sounds like that had quotes attached. No, it was to a it. new experience. It was it was an experience for me. All right, and that's the whole object of these exercises sure. is that we may well be listening to something that we otherwise wouldn't. I would never have gone out and bought ELO's time had Ken not set that challenge for Same us. Yeah, so, yeah, we all did. So. <laughs> so, so Ken, I mean, Blue Murder, you you were around in the '80s, a little bit older than Lonnie. Did you know anything about them, and, and what was your reaction to Mark setting you this challenge? Yeah, so what well, I mean, what we did this come out eighty nine? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay. I was ten. How about that? So yeah. Make you feel older. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Not really. But anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, uh there was a lot of this kind of music going on at the time. Yeah, and yes, I had the white snake uh, at least the last 
the prior couple of white snakes right around that time too. So, um, and there's some bands that, you know, I've gravitated towards, you know, and, and this and that. And then some, some other bands just sounded like the rest of the market out there because a lot of people were, oh yeah, you know, playing the same sounds and, and the same type of music at that time, the hair bands and so on. So anyway, uh, I probably heard of them at the time, but I, I, t- I can't tell you I remember all these years later. Um, it sounds familiar to me that I did hear. I know I knew John Sykes, you know, names like that, Cozy Powell or whatever, you know. Um, not Cozy Powell, I mean, um, was a drummer? Carmine Apice. Carmine, Carmine. Um, I don't know why I said Cozy Powell. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, Carmine and, and so on. So I knew those names. Um, so, yeah, it... I didn't really know or remember them until Mark brought it up as a as his pick. So, and, and I, you know, went into it and, and, and checked it out. And it was, yeah, it sounds like the time period. And there's some stuff. You know, we'll go over it and some stuff I liked and maybe stuff not so much. But uh, um, it, it was it's definitely a timepiece of that you know that time period. Of the mm-hmm. type of music, definitely, definitely, and it's obviously well played, uh, that album. So, um, but yeah, we'll get into that. I'm just looking at my notes for this episode, and the next question is, what was your entry point to Def Leppard? Yeah, uh, I was confused by that. I, yeah, I clearly have not updated my skeleton since that high and dry episode. <laughs> uh, so we've all covered our entry points. I mean, I remember I was living in Singapore at the time, so I didn't buy the cassette because the logo was orientated the wrong side on the cassette. Um, it was hor- horizontal rather than vertical, which I mm. hated on cassettes with a passion when they did that. It just completely clashed. So I did not buy it. I don't even remember hearing much from that mm. album. I, none of these songs rang a bell when I, I played the album, but I'm sure I did hear some back in the day. So... Um, Let's start with the initial impressions of the album, you know, and Mark, you kind of summed up your initial impression, but, you know, give it to us full on. What are the things that you like and dislike about this album so much that it is important enough to you to challenge your friends to listen to and discuss on a podcast? Um, okay. And I'm going to be totally, try to be totally like, you know, straight down the middle call it like it is you know i'm not gonna like overly polish it i'll be honest if it's if there's something shit i'll i'll admit to it um but i really lo- i really love this album um guitar playing wise obviously i mean john sykes to me is a very underrated guitar player still to this day um you know when i when i listened to some of his soloing on even the white snake records i was like wow this is like like incredible stuff i mean when you when you have people in you know guitar for the practicing musician magazine having a bitch of a time transcribing your guitar solos you know you're doing something pretty complicated you know so i was all in because at that point you know i was really early in my guitar playing and my learning and everything i was getting at that point i was just sucking up like a vacuum cleaner because it was just like wow this is so good this is so cool and his guitar tone was just something that immediately caught me that early sort of you know mesa boogie rectifier tone the really early stuff and you know that early kind of over modified martial sound i loved it and i also loved the fact that when you listen to the rhythm section of this band with Carmine and Tony Franklin. I mean, if you listen to some of those things that they're playing underneath some of his solo parts, you know, that's not simple four, four stuff. Some of this stuff they're going off here and there, you're doing odd fills and odd meters here and there. It's like, wow. Like for a young guy who was playing guitar at that time, he was like, wow, what the hell is like, what are they doing? Like, I was trying, I was just trying to follow along on rhythm guitar. You know what I mean? At that point. So it was like really tricky. Some of the stuff um, I thought, that John Sykes was also a, a great singer on this record. I really loved it. And when I found out that there were other people who were much better singers that were involved in this stuff and that it was kind of was dropped in his lap to do it, that even, you know, put, put them up on a higher ladder for me because I was like, wow, not only can this guy play guitar amazingly well, but he's a pretty good singer. Sure, he's not maybe Ray Gillen or he's maybe not Tony Martin, but he definitely sang it the way it needed to be sung, I thought, on this record for sure. 
And the other thing I think that I really enjoyed was the production. I mean, sure, it was 1989. It was Bob Rock's first production job on his own. You know, this was coming off of, I think, a permanent vacation in that time when he was still engineering for Bruce Fairburn. And this was his first full on, like, you know, I'm doing it alone production job. And I think he did a great, great job. You know, I mean, there was a lot of confidence that John Kalodner is behind this record. I mean, it's there in big text on my, you know, on, on, the, on, inner, on the inner sleeve. And I mean, they got three separate engineers to do the mastering for this, a separate master for the cassette release, a separate master for the CD release, and a separate master for the vinyl. So if you don't believe in that record, you ain't doing that, you know, for that. I don't know many other albums I've read that have had that done to them, you know. So I really liked it. And what is not good on this record, I think? Well, I mean, I I think everything for the most part is great, but the one thing that I think he definitely needed help with was the lyrics. I think some of the lyrics are pretty cheesy on some of the songs. I mean, some of it is really syrupy in spots, but I mean, you know, and even Sex Child is a little like, okay, I know it's 1987, but come on. You know, some of it was a little bordering on tacky, but other than that, I, I think that the musically, there's nothing I can complain about. I mean, overall, there's not a skipper on for me on this record at all i listen to it top to bottom all the time no matter what but that's my kind of view on the record yeah 1976 called for that song um it <laughs> might have just gotten away then lonnie your overall impressions of blue murder um i was impressed with the guitar work i thought the guitar work was extra was extraordinary um I wasn't impressed with the catchiness of the tunes. I, I I listened to this album a lot the last week or so, and I, I never once caught myself walking around with one of the songs stuck in my head. Um, I, I and I really tried. I, I listened to it a lot, but it, it never. And and I really judge it on by by how much I can't get it out of my head. And I I, I didn't have that problem. So. Um, and when I liked it, when I first, when I listened to it the first time, I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, it's okay. And as I listened to it a little bit more, I was just like, I was, I got, I got a little more turned off as, I, as I kept going. To be honest with you, um, Mark, you mentioned Sex Child, Child, and he said like the, the lyrics might be, might be a little cheesy. And I, and I know the four of us typically do, do a Kiss podcast together, mm-hmm. but gonna slip and slide come inside girl and then the next line is sex child eh, that's a little much <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> that's what i'm saying I, I'm, I'm kind of glad i didn't catch myself walking around singing it this week because i might not be sitting <laughs> here right now. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo. laughs> out for your jog singing along running by that elementary well. school that's closed <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> My God, you hear what he was singing there? There's nothing strange going on here at all. So, so oh, you know, I, it, was a little, it was a little cringeworthy, and I, I was like, oh. And, and, I, and I didn't notice that at first. Like, I went back, and like, is that what I just heard? Yeah, 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 it was. So, <laughs> I, um, and, and, and we'll, sit here, we'll sit here and talk about Kiss lyrics all the time, but that, that, was, that, was, that was a little much. Um, I, I never... I don't know. It, it it didn't it didn't really get me going to to say the least. So I, I and I and I gave it a fair try. I listened to it a bunch of times. So. Um, it it just didn't move the needle for me. Um, and, and as I kept listening to it, it it moved the needle a little slower. Yeah, and that is very strange to think that John Kay got behind that song. Which, he got behind the whole album. Well, yeah, literally. And just that one song, even for 1989, is really a bit of a head scratcher. Uh, or maybe I just got old, which is fine as well. Ken? Yes. Um, I listened to it a few times. And, uh, you know, the, the musicianship, I mean, definitely the production stands out to me, especially the, uh, uh, even like Mark was talking about, the you know, the drumming and, and the bass fills. Yeah, you hear popping in in the background, and it's like yeah. I'm like, oh, that's a that's kind of cool sounding, you know. <laughs> I said that's that's top notch bass playing going on there, you know. Um, and definitely, you know, the the lead guitar solos are all, you know, great and ripping and 
you know has the you know gets into the whiny parts of it and and everything you know what well, like, i'm guessing he's using like a whammy bar or something like that on some of the stuff but uh um yeah it it's all well done and some songs you know i like i thought pretty good pretty good it's a pretty good song you know and then there's other ones that are just you know so so or you know they fit they sound just like another one that you know i've heard before or something like that mm. but in general you know it's a it's you know a very good album um but uh, you know I, would i have bought it at the time i don't know i don't know um it'd have to grow on me more i think in order to i mean it's a couple songs that i i think are standouts definitely but uh you know would i would i buy it i don't know i still don't know unless i hear it a little bit more you know <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, thank God for Spotify, because Sykes probably earned .003 cents for me listening to this album in preparation for this <laughs> episode, which um, I, I think one of the things to go back to is some of the singers that were auditioned were David Glenn Isley and Derek St. Holmes. So that says a lot. Mm. I mean, Derek in particular, real, uh, you know, in, in, when we talked about Ray Gillen before, Derek is a great singer as well. Would have been good. Would he have been good for this material? I'm not too sure about that, to be perfectly honest. Um, but Ken touched on something that stood out for me for this album, from this album, and it was the bass. Yeah, I, I mean, it really sounds good how this album is produced, and Bob Rock did an absolutely outstanding job. The separation between the instruments, the keyboards are perfect for the style of music and i i'm not a big keyboard person but i really enjoyed that and the bass interaction underlying john's guitar playing and his vocals drums you know are just powerful but not overly powerful there's they're, they're very late 80 sounding but they still do have a good resonance behind them so the production is absolutely first class, really, really good. I'd, I'd actually put it as one of Bob Rock's best produced albums in terms of its overall sonics. Mm. Now, the material. Uh, overall, there's a few standout tracks, and we've already mentioned that one track, which is just a piece of garbage. Um, it really is filler. Um, uh, virgin killer material really really bad but there is some good stuff on the album i just do find that i could put this album in a group of five in a bucket and make a playlist out of them and they all sound the same and those albums are sabbath eternal idol headless cross ingve's odyssey and white snake 1987 put mm. all of those albums together they're all cut <laughs> from the same cloth in terms sure. of their dynamics, in terms of their guitar interplay, in terms of their kind of songwriting, they're all the same thing. Now, four of those albums I love, and this one is just trying to nudge its way in, and it, it manage, manages to do so with a couple of songs, but we'll talk about that as we move on. But overall, I'm glad Mark made me listen to this. You know, there, there are some good songs. There, it makes it very clear what he contributed to Whitesnake, which I do agree with Mark's right. opening comments. Um, and he's an absolutely fantastic guitarist and a really decent vocalist too. But his other band members are pretty freaking strong as well all right so let's um move on directly into favorites and pick the three songs that stood out the most for you let's start with lonnie on this um three that stood out the most were i like the song blue murder if there is a song that i almost caught myself singing with it, it you know it's it, it's a little more catchy I, i've almost found myself singing along with that almost um riot was good as well i, I think the guitar work on Riot was really really good and i don't know for a third i'm gonna have to go with i'm gonna go with black-hearted woman as my third um and i will and, and we'll get into the singles in a minute when like jillian shared what the singles were i was surprised because they they didn't make my favorite three li three tracks on the album. And it's always interesting exercise to do um, 
when you're exploring new material is pick your favorite tracks and then go back and find out what the singles were, you know, and then you're like, well, that's an interesting choice. Whereas if you're a fan of the band, they release a single, you're like, oh, okay, that's great. You know, but exploring an album, you know, that's, you know, 30 years old and, you know, like, oh, I don't, I, I wouldn't have chose that, but, you know, maybe yeah. the, the songs that I like the best are, are B-sides of the best, maybe, you know, so that's always an interesting exercise. So, um, but I, I, I think the guitar work on these three songs that I like the best is, is about, is, is very extraordinary. Like I said in my opening statements about the album, um, like, you know, I, I thought, you know, it was very, very timely guitar work too for 1989. You know, it's like, like Julian had mentioned, you, you can put these albums in a, in a bucket with what else was coming out at the time and what was popular at the time. So, um, you know, it, it, it the guitar playing is great. Um, you know, I, I I found at the same time I found it a lot easier to pick my three least favorite tracks than I did my three favorite tracks on the album, unfortunately. <laughs> so, Mark, are you offended that I said I could throw it into a bucket with Eternal Idol, Headless, and Odyssey in 1987? I mean, is that good company or bad company? Um, I, I mean, I'm not offended by it. I mean, you know, look at it. I'm not going to say that this album is, you know has stood the test of time and, you know, is timeless. And, you know, obviously it's not that because, you know, there's a very much some production elements of it that are of its time. Like you said, um, you know, obviously the Whitesnake album is a, you know, it's like a sister record pretty much to this. And, you know, you think about Yngwie Malmsteen's Odyssey. I think that that was absolutely brilliant that you brought up that album because there's a lot of similarity production wise on that album for damn sure. Uh, and, you know, they're not even related in any real way if you think about it and and the sat any look in the sabbath albums you know they they have a similar production style to it too lots reverb was the friend of engineers and mix engineers at this time period you know there is reverb everywhere on every single album guitars were soaked in it drums were soaked in reverb and this was no exception so i i wasn't offended by that comment at all because it's just like even lonnie said this is something that when he heard it, he be- he believed it came from 1989. You know. Yep. Good. Okay. Ken, your three favorites from this album and why? 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 Uh, let's see, I wrote something <laughs> down. Let's see. It wasn't sex down. No. Um, no. Let's see. Uh, well, one of them was, I guess, one of their singles, uh, "Jelly Roll." Right? Was that a single? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. I like the uh, electric kind of acoustic that was in it, um, really. And then uh, I, I said, "Well, you know, it's a really good song." I said, "Is it a ballad? Kind of, in a way. It's a semi, you know, ballad." Um, I said, "And it has a real good chorus." So I like that one. Uh, Blue Murder is another one. This is another one of those bands who do a the name their album, you know, the one of the songs that they've written. You know, you got Bad Company, Night Ranger. I can go yeah. on, right? The list, the list goes on. They, they go, well, what are we gonna name the band? Uh, oh, I just Blue Murder. That's the song. I do that. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's a great rocker. Uh, real cool solo on that one. Melodic. Find that one very uh, melodic cool solo on that one um the drums in that is, are great on that song so mm-hmm. i picked that one and then third would be i'm gonna pick uh billy um i like the the riff change in it um that goes on and then another you know awesome solo on that one i know i wrote down a cool song so yeah, and, I, and I was listening to it. So, yeah, yeah, those are the three that uh, I pick for now as my favorites. Yeah, and that's the whole idea to listening to music. You don't have to write a thesis justifying, you know, something. <laughs> it could be nice guitar, nice bass, ooh, chorus, you know, as, as yeah. to what is catchy. All right, Mark, this is your album. What are your f- three favorite songs from this album and why? Well, believe it or not, this is incredibly difficult for me to pick three because I love the whole album top to bottom. But, okay, I'll I'll give it to you the way I've always kind of told people the songs that I love the best on this record. My favorite song on this album 
has always been Riot, the opener on this album. I mean, I, I'll never forget the very first time I heard that song. You know, it's big sweeping keyboards and they had that, you know, that little bass line that thought, because he plays, don't forget, he plays fretless bass on this whole record. Mm. There's not a fretted bass note on this album to be found. It's all fretless. It's unbelievable. And it's just so melodic sounding. And whenever he goes up and down the neck, you can hear it a mile away how it sounds like, it has these weird yeah. tones whenever he does it, right? And, uh, I was, you know, listening to this. I'm like, what, what am I listening to here? And then all of a sudden, when they do that big drum fill and that world's longest pick scratch, and he does that, I was like, wow, that's, that was so cool. I was like, you know, you got to remember, too. I was like, what, 17 or 18 years old. I was like, this is unbelievable. You know, like when I heard that the first time, I was like, it just knocked me over, like, completely. I just thought it was the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. And the guitar is so huge sounding especially if you listen to it on headphones it's like wow so and the guitar solo in this song is fantastic like absolutely top shelf guitar solo in, on this song so that's always been a song that really you know has stayed in my brain ever since i heard it the very first time uh, my second favorite song for sure on this album is blue murder again one of those songs where you know and if you listen to this really really closely like i know like you know, i guarantee you guys didn't listen to it as closely as i've listened to this record but if you crank the very beginning of blue murder at the very top you hear him do this little bass harmonic like Doo! he does this yeah. little note and all of a sudden yeah, it comes with the, yeah. yeah i mean most people never catch that because they don't have it up maybe loud enough to catch it but <clears throat> that's one thing i always thought was kind of funny like that that they put that that they left that in there you know and but that drum beat I mean, Carmine, I, I tip my hat to you. That was such a fantastic drum beat in that song, you know. And then, you know, it, he he's down tuned to like drop D tuning for that song, and that production thing where he does the guitar comes in left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. How it comes in like that, that production on it is just wow. It sounds really cool. I mean, Bob Rock really wanted to show that you know he was worthy of doing production on records, and I think that he really proved it with these kind of little tricks that he did on the on the album itself but great song catchy i think the chorus is memorable e easy easy to remember this that song i think for sure uh and i've always loved the guitar solo in that as well third song i mean i, I really i could pick really anything as my third song but i guess if i had to choose one song i, I think i would also probably pick uh billy i think billy is a song that's really really good on this record I mean, it, it the the lyrics can be a little bit tacky, but I love the guitar riff on it, and I love the the bass interplay in it too. That did it did it did it did We kind of mimic some of the keyboard lines in there on the bass. Mm. Fantastic! And I remember seeing a television studio performance of them doing this song. I don't remember where what show it was they were on, but they played this actually as a you know as as a, as a three piece in this studio thing. Uh, it was like a daytime television show, I think, or something. But it was really interesting to watch it. Uh, great performance, and I really think that it's one of those songs where he sang really well too. I mean, most people when they talk about this record, they always talk about his guitar playing and his soloing. But you know, I think it would be a crime not to mention how good his singing is, especially on a song like that too. Riot, Blue Murder. This song, I think he sings really, really well on this. Yeah, you know, it seems that there's a lot of love for Blue Murder, the song, between the three of you. That's probably the one. All right, so when I was trying to determine what my favorite song was, I was very scientific in my process. I've mentioned all those albums that I feel that these could fit into, so I divided a piece of paper into sections. The first quadrant is Songs That Sound Like White Snake 1987 or Slip of the Tongue. The other section is Songs That Remind Me of Sabbath, Headless Cross, Eternal Idol. The next quadrant is the Songs That Remind Me of Ingve of the Era, which Riot is definitely, you know, waiting for Ingve to unleash the fucking fury and call for. Um, and then, of course, the final quadrant is the Songs That Sound Original. Unfortunately, one of those songs is a song whose title I refuse to say. We've already mentioned it as being a uh, outcast from 1976. Um, but my favorites. 
And Jelly Roll. Ken, did you pick that because it's a Gene Simmons demo title? He, I mean, that no, loves no. Gene. I, you know what? I, I, when I first said that, I was like, oh, they do a cover Why? of Gene Simmons? Uh, no, but yeah, that, it crossed my mind, but that, I didn't pick it because of that, no. That one was actually stolen from Coverdale Page, I think. It sounds like it could fit on that album huh? as well. And that is actually one of my favorite albums. Of the I year. love that album. Yeah. Um, that's another show. Um, all right. My favorites. Valley of the Kings, the first single. Mm. Mm. Probably because it could have fit on Eternal Idol, which I love. It's all big, grand, pomp, a very Sabbathy of the era. Uh, could have been on 7th as well for that matter or headless those three albums vastly underrated um not surprisingly i think number two is ptolemy big Mm -hmm. fat atmospheric even with the pinch harmonics and i hate pinch harmonics it makes me think of zach wilde and then makes me want to punch a wall it's just one of those things. Wow. That, yeah. No. Zach was fantastic. I know. Yeah. No. Zach. Zach Wild was great for no rest, and after that, every other note seemed to be a pinch harmonic. It was just like you don't need to do them in every song, Zach. Yeah. yeah. And and he yeah. really overdid. Like Paul Stanley and the Ebo. Zach mm-hmm. and the pinch harmonics just became a little bit excessive, but I love them in this song. They work, and again, it's all big kind of um, Iron Maideny mm-hmm. in terms of subject matter and delivery. Yeah, the lyrics are a little bit not to that same standard as you might get from, you know, a, a really good Iron Maiden song, but musically, um, I think this is kind of next level. It's completely different creature to Iron Maiden in terms of the musicality behind it. And then finally, um, Black Hearted Woman. Hmm. Because I think this is a complete clone of Bad Boys from from the 87 album. They're they're basically the same damn song, very stylistically similar. And I love that song on the White Snake album, so it's Hmm. not surprising that this one really jumped out at me. You know, there's a lot there's a lot of good stuff i mean I, I was thinking about billy there's some really good guitar work on that in particular that's one of the songs that really shines but uh no th- those three are really it all right pick your three least favorites mark i'm going to start off with you because you said you love this album back to front upside down and sideways so i'm going to make you pick three that are, are the lesser on the album to you um <clears throat> And before I before I say this, I, I will say that realistically, none of them are bad to me. But if I had to pick three of the weaker songs, mm-hmm. Numero Uno is Out of Love, again, I think is the one song that, while I think it's really well written as a ballad, and I think that if, if he would have gave that to David Coverdale, he could have turned into one of those, you know, my wife, K- Kitty there, whatever her name was crawling all over another car while he sang a kind of song. He could have turned into one of those again, like every other white snake ballad at the time. Uh, but again, I think that the guitar solo in that was still really great, but it's, it is definitely weak. It's very syrupy and it's really long for a ballad. It's like, wow, it's like almost like seven minutes long. Um, the other song that I don't like as much, um, obviously is sex child. I think it's kind of, you know, I don't know. The, the lyrics are just. I just think the you don't lyrics. Don't have to just, say it because we all have said it. No, I know. I'm just saying that no, it's just. It's just. You know, it just ruins a, an otherwise pretty interesting song musically. I think. I think that's one thing that Bob needed to maybe get a slap upside the head for, is like saying, "Listen, why don't you just tell this guy to change these lyrics? You know, it would have been a much better song." Um, and then, other than that, I think the other song that I think kind of doesn't really, you know, interest me as much. And I'm kind of glad that it is where it is on the album is Black Hearted Woman. And simply because of the fact that it does remind me so much of that song from Whitesnake, you know, from Bad Boys, you know, it, it, it is basically that song rewritten for this record. And I just think that that was a wasted opportunity. He probably could have written something a lot better in that spot, but it's not a bad song. You know, it's just I think that he had much more in his back pocket that he probably could have used. All right, Lonnie, putting a quarter in the machine. I want to get my money's worth. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so my least favorite song, and, I, and I've already discussed it, my least favorite song on the album is Sex Child. I mean, it, it's it's cringeworthy, and, and this is a KISS pod. And this, normally the four of us do a KISS podcast. 
and for me to call an a a song cringeworthy and being able to at the same level be able to say well take me's okay and christine 16 you know and praise those lyrics for, for me to say sex sex child reminds me have you ever seen the song seen the show on um, parks and recreation where the character andy he has a song called sex hair and it reminds me of that it's just so cringeworthy but it's not the sex hair <laughs> sex hair and you got it for me this is Ooh, come inside, sex child. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that's really bad. <laughs> and that's coming from a guy who loves Kiss. That's really, really bad. My my least, my second least favorite is Out of Love. And like Julian said, it just reminds me so much of White Snake. It's ridiculous. They just wanted to be White Snake so bad. It, it reminds me of Finally Found My Way to You by Kiss, where they just wanted to redo Beth so bad, mm-hmm. and it just came across even worse than than they tried. And my third favorite, least favorite song in the album, which I'm really surprised that you guys really like Billy. I'm, they call him Billy. That doesn't do it for me. So, <laughs> I, I don't think I can walk around singing that either. So, I'm going with those three as my least favorite. What what do you say to that? Yeah. <laughs> well, what you say is, uh, Ken, what are your three <laughs> least favorite? I, I, I wrote notes. You know, I got a whole list. I'll page of notes. But anyway, uh, yeah, the songs that uh, I didn't care for that much. Um, yeah, definitely Out of Love. Um, I wrote that it was good. I said, but, but it's dispensable. Too long. Uh, yeah, I said it, you know it's a little sappy, <laughs> like like uh, too many other songs of the period, you know. Um, so that's one of them. Uh, also, uh, black black hearted. I have to pick black hearted woman too, I guess. Um, though I call it, you know, it's, it's kind of a straight ahead rocker um, mm-hmm. song. Uh, but I mean, it, it, again, I said it's, it's okay. The bridge before the solo was okay on that. I thought it was pretty good, but uh, yeah, that that one. And then uh, yeah, third one. I'm gonna say um, the was it is it it's pronounced Ptolemy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is I had to look up what what that was. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, yeah, I said it's, it's a you know it's an epic kind of song, um, but the problem is. Um, it, I think it's part of it goes on for too long. Um, you know, I liked some of the, you know, guitar whining as part of the song, you know, that little ring, you know, he just keeps doing. Yeah. Um, but it goes on for a little bit too long. Um, but I thought the bridge is really good to that song, though. But just, just I think it's just a too long of a song for me. Um, I like long songs, but that one, I think they could have certain parts condensed it. It would have been a better song. We'll have to yeah. do a, a late 20th century Iron Maiden episode with Ken when it comes to long songs and songs that go on hey, too long. I was I nodding like off during the Red and the Black I, I, in Oakland. I, Rush. Rush. I like Rush, long Rush songs. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a difference, though, I find between r- long Rush songs and True. long songs like on this record. Because the one thing I have to agree with you, Ken, is that like on Ptolemy or whatever that song's called, um, the the outro part, and even the Valley of the Kings, the na 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 in the Valley of the King, like that, he drags that on for so long out. Like I mean, it's almost three minutes that outro. I mean, that is unbelievable. Like I mean, me being a person who makes progressive rock records or progressive metal records, I mean, I'm very conscious of if I'm gonna make a song 13 minutes long there better be more than four parts to this song. There better be like seven or eight parts because I think that people would get bored after three straight minutes of the same part and the same vocal repeating over and over and over again. And that's the one thing that I think Bob Rock, I think, let slide a little too much on this record was sometimes the endings of the songs were a little long. I would have trimmed off a bit of those endings, in my opinion, but I could be wrong. Editing. That is always... You know, does a 13-minute song need to be 13, or is it really just a three-minute song with a lot of ego? You know, it, 
there are 13 minute songs no there are 13 minute songs that have a reason to exist and there are 13 minute songs that should never have been that long and that's my my big complaint with some recent maiden albums um picking my least favorite on this yeah there's the one that we've already mentioned that is a glam metal two live crew song and it really is really really bad the other one of course is the is this love of this album which you know it's just out of love is just too much a clone Mm -hmm. and i really couldn't come up with a third song I, I, it's just impossible because it, there's only nine on the album to begin with, and I'm already down to seven. And really, the rest of them are are really pretty enjoyable. I mean, from the rest, I think if I have to pick one immediately just to have three, it'll be Billy, just because of what you guys have just said, you know. <laughs> yeah. Rather rather than having an original Lonnie. thought, you know, I'm just you know co-opt what Lonnie said yeah there we go that's much easier than thinking for myself um there's a lot of good stuff what i am shocked about is the choice of singles now the first single from this was valley of the kings which just boggles the mind why you would go with something of that nature rather than doing blue murder would have been the perfect lead-off single because it's the band name, the album name, a song title, and it's also catchy as hell. I mean, that's mm-hmm. probably one of the songs on the album that has the best chorus, even though I haven't sung its praises in any way. And then Jelly Roll was the second, and the song title has very little bearing on the actual song itself. So I thought... The singles were very poorly chosen for an album that they obviously thought was going to fit in nicely with a 10 million selling 1987 album, um, Rinse and Repeat. Mark, um, again, it's your album. I'm going to start with you on your thoughts of the singles and what you would have done. I have to totally agree with you. I mean, when I first found out that the first single off this album was Valley of the Kings, I was like, really? Like, the the first thing that kind of made me like hear alarm bells was being that the song itself on the album version is about, what, like 10 minutes long or something ridiculous like that. It's a really long song, okay? Now, uh, whenever I hear a song of that length being re- released as a single, I panic for one reason. I refer back to you to the single edit of Detroit Rock City, uh, of how that got completely butchered into something that sounds absolutely nothing like the final version of the song. And I kind of see in my mind, like, what did they do to this song to make it a single? Because there's no way to releasing it. It's I just looked, it's like eight minutes long, the song. Um, how did they turn it into a, a, a believable three or four minute single? I mean, they had to have trimmed a lot of it. Hopefully they would have trimmed a lot of the ending out of it. But if they trimmed out a lot of other spots at the, on it, I think I would have been disappointed. And I think what they did do is they also probably trimmed a lot at the top. That dun, 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 that whole thing at the top, they probably did a major edit job on that. Um, I I don't get it. I really don't get it. I mean, and what, what I had to just look at there when you saw me doing this, and I pulled this out, I was just double checking and making sure that my eyes weren't deceiving me when I saw that it said management, John Kalodner, Pro Rock Management Limited. I was like, okay. John Kalodner, this is the guy who went in for Pump, for Aerosmith, sat down and started saying, eh, you know, F-I-N-E, I, I, that, it's a good song, but I mean, I think if we do some editing for that, I think it'll be a much better song. Like, he had a problem with that song and not a problem with this? I mean, I don't understand what he was thinking when he selected this with those guys as a single. Because, I mean, really, like you said, Julian, the, the song that sticks out immediately as a single is Blue Murder. I mean, it, it's just screaming like hello pick me i'm the single hello it, it it has a catchy beginning it has a catchy chorus it has a really melodic guitar solo and you can easily trim that ending part out to make it sound logical and believable you know what i mean all he do at the at the ending is just you know take it from a kind of like a swing beat to like a double beat and then they kind of up and up and up and then it ends they could have just cut it in one of those sections in half and then that would have been the end of it and that would have been perfect 
So I don't understand why they didn't just do that. Why they took that. I mean, honestly, you want to know why I think they picked that as the first single? Because they had one of these, you know, drunken bar sessions, you know, Kalodner, John Sykes, and these guys are like, and Bob Rock saying, you know what, guys? I really see a fantastic video for this song. It's going to be out in the desert. We're going to bring a whole crew out. We'll be out for a week. You know, I can definitely see them thinking something ridiculous like that for making for taking that as a as a as a single because I don't remember the single like the video perfectly, but I know it was something ridiculous like that. Like there was there was some kind of desert scene and you know they, they were out playing you know in this staged kind of production thing. I mean, it just looked. Like really tacky. I'm gonna tell you why I think video. they picked that single, Mark. Headless Cross, Tony Martin. This was co-written by Tony, and Headless was out at the same time as this album. So I think they were trying to cash in on Sabbath as well. Okay, but okay. Now, don't get me wrong. Before people start yelling at me on the board when I say this, but cashing in what? Headless Cross didn't do dick all, like as far as sales and stuff like that. That that wasn't really a, some multi-platinum seller or something like that. You know, but, but it's a good record. I love, I love Black Sabbath. Don't get me wrong. Tony Iommi is one of my biggest guitar influences ever. But to say that they were cashing in on that, I mean, really, I mean, it's it's not like it was like, you know, Heaven and Hell or something like that that sold pretty decent or you know, the early Black Sabbath stuff, which was a good selling stuff. I mean, this is, this is Headless Cross. I mean, you know, it, it was a big Powell. Cozy, yeah. Tony. Yeah, I mean, I love those guys, but the, but the record still didn't do anything, you know? Well, they didn't know that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, true, yeah. but... Here, here, here we are 30 <laughs> years later. Yeah, it's easy in hindsight, but I, 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 I'm i firm... I'm sorry, Ken and Monty, this is becoming a, a back of a table tennis with Mark and Julian. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I firmly believe that they thought because Iomi was coming out with an album, Cozy Powell, that name power back at this time, think of all the bands that he had cycled through. Tony Martin coming in, Eternal Idol, no, it hadn't been a good seller, but Headless was massive in terms of um, the perception of it coming out in Europe at the time and again mm. i only approached it from the european point of view um and no it didn't amount to dick all in the end but i think uh, preemptively kalodner had his eye he was always one who said that he listened to the kids mm. the kids were excited by cozy pal and tony iomi and tony martin being in the same band so i i think kalodner and his uh ground radar totally got suckered by that perspective, which is why they put Valley of the Kings out as the single one that Tony Martin had co-written. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you put a I quarter thought... in me this week. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> Julie goes off the rails. I thought, Lon- I thought Lonnie was going to go... You know. He's <laughs> like, please let this episode end. Please. I need this afternoon. All right, Mark, I, I'm going to move on to the other guys yeah, yeah. Uh, since we've gotten way off track. Lonnie, yeah, yeah, the, the singles from this album. Again, like, <laughs> I, like I said earlier, I was really, when I look up the singles, or Julian sent us what the singles were, I was surprised because I guess the two the two singles, Value of the Kings and Jelly Roll, were just kind of meh for me. They're in the middle. I mean, and, and that's saying something because I sat here and I chose, chose my three favorite and my three least favorite. Well, that's two thirds of the album. Well, then two of the other three songs are the singles that are just kind of eh, the kind of forgettable songs for me. Like, you know, three songs stood out as bad. No, I don't like these. And I, okay, if I have to choose the top three, it's these. So they, they just kind of stood out in the middle, just kind of like white noise to me the last week or so listening to it. Didn't really move the needle one way or the other for me or just kind of I, I thought these album I thought those two songs were more filler than anything else. So uh, again, I would have gone with with Blue Murder or gone with with Riot as I mean you chose Riot to be the leadoff song. Yeah. Why why not? that's very that's very odd in and of itself that you choose a song to be the leadoff song, especially in 1989 that you choose a song to be the leadoff song on the album and it's not a single. That's kind of bizarre, especially in that time period. So yeah. um. So for me, it would have been Blue Murder and Riot, and because these other two songs, they're just fine. I mean, they're they're 
good. I mean, they're, they're okay. I guess they're okay, but they're not, not nothing I would have chosen as a single at all. Yeah. The voice of reason has spoken. Ken, how about you? Come on, Ken. Crack me up. <laughs> the, the quote uh, is to quote Tom Petty into the great wide open. The AR man, A&R man says, I don't hear a single. <laughs> so, so yeah, that that's kind of what it's like for me. I mean, I, I agree though. I, I would have picked blue murder as the single. Um, only reason I thought Jelly Roll maybe makes sense in, in a little way is because it's it's a little different. It's different from the rest of the stuff. Um, it's, it doesn't you know sound exactly the same as some of the other you could say White Snake copies or or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, Blue Murder. I think they should have left it at that. Just do one single and then stop. Sometimes you keep putting down singles. Like why are you? putting out another single when there really isn't another single for you know to it's going to get airplay on the radio so much you know so yeah blue murder is it for me yeah thank you lonnie for mentioning riot that that actually would have been a great single as well mark let's just uh finish up with you uh, back to your thoughts about the singles now that you've heard ken and lonnie's opinions well yeah i mean i agree blue murder should have been the main single off of this album for sure uh, jelly roll made a little bit more sense to me as a single because like ken said it was a bit different from the record also it was a very catchy thing you know acoustic guitar at that time was also very popular you know around that time you know songs with acoustic in it caught not only you know guys ears but girls ears and that sold records too right mm-hmm. so um and and i think that jelly roll was also able to be edited a bit better too because you know they had that huge long monstrosity at the end of it there the love can break you and that's another like three four minutes of just that so mm. they could have easily have just cut that right down and made it into a kind of tolerable single but again i i, I keep wondering where kalander's head was at on this record because so many things just you know, for a guy who has such a great ground radar, as Julian says, you know, his radar must have been on vacation for this record because how he didn't catch on to the lyrics in Sex Child, how he didn't catch on to the huge, you know, overdrawn out ending on Valley of the Kings. I mean, what was he doing? Like, I don't understand. So, so anyways, yeah. So I, I just say that those were my uh, thoughts on the singles. I think they should have did Blue Murder and just a really better edited version of Jelly Roll. I think we've covered most of the discussion on what did you think of the production. Um, if you do have any final comments on the overall production of the album, do add them into this final question. The artwork is lame as hell. Um, I'm sorry, Mark. I'm, I'm sure that cover looks absolutely spectacular on a 12 by 12 square. But in terms of grabbing at someone's eye, it really doesn't say a thing about what you're actually purchasing. I mean, it's it's almost well, yeah. That the back, says more. Yeah, the back cover, but you don't get you don't get to that. Um, and again, like I mentioned, I didn't buy it because it was just basically the logo cropped on a cassette tape in in Singapore. <laughs> um, Ken, final thoughts yeah. on production and cover? Yeah, well, the production was great. Obviously, uh, it was a real good job. Um, and like Mark said, some of the songs, yeah. And I thought the same dragged on too long. They should, should have cut them down instead of, you know, keep repeating the thing, same thing over and over. Um, so that was good. The actual, uh, yeah, the album cover, I agree. They could have come up with a better logo than that, at least, or they should have swapped it out and put the back picture on the front side, right? Uh, and with a maybe a smaller blue, you know, blue, some other blue murder logo in the upper, you know, right hand corner or something like that. But whatever, you know, they did what they did. Um, and that happens <laughs> with a lot of bands. So, it, you know, it was good. It's a, it's a decent, I mean, it wasn't a horror, you know, it's not a horrible album or anything like that where I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to, you know, throw it out the window or <laughs> something. But, <laughs> It's good. It has a lot of good, decent songs that that I had never, I didn't really know. I never listened to it before. So it was definitely an interesting listen. Nice, Ken. Lonnie, before I go to you, I'm just going to ask our listeners, um, 
we're going to, or I'm going to ask each one of these guys to pick an album that's going to be our next show, because we usually just go between ourselves and pick albums to talk about. I think it's only fair after doing quite a few of these episodes to let you guys who listen to us on a regular basis choose an album for us to listen. So each one of us is going to mention an album, and wherever you listen to this, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or even on the FAQ or elsewhere, or email... Let us know which one you want. So I've given the guys a minute to think about that album that they're going to pick. Um, Lonnie, your summation on this album experience. You know, I think I think the production is very um, timely with 1989. You know, it's exactly what you would expect a metal album to sound like at the time. I mean, Bob Rock, Bob Rock is producing the album. I mean, it's it's very it's very you know, you, you could put it in a time capsule for the for 1989 for sure. Um, as far as the, the cover goes, I'm with you. I mean, if I'm flipping through, you know, back, back in the day when you would go to a record store, you know, flipping through records, it, it wouldn't have done anything to make me go, ooh, you know, look, look at that. I, I, let me pull this one out and, and, and take a closer look. It it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, I, 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 I understand what Mark saying. Well, the back album, back of the cover, yeah. That's great, but my first reaction is to the front of the cover, and I'm just going to yeah. keep. I'm just going to keep going. So it doesn't do much for me. But but the production-wise, yeah, I mean, it comes from, you know, one of my favorite time periods of all time, late '80s, early '90s, and it, Bob Rock's producing it. It's a time signature of, of that era. Nice, Mark. Well, I think the production is fantastic. I mean, they, they did everything right as far as that goes. I mean, they went to Little Mountain to record it. They had Bob Roth to do it. They also had Mike Frazier do it, who is like a fantastic, you know, engineer mixer as well. As I mentioned before, they had three separate engineers for the mastering of this. Greg Fuganti, who did the cassette. You got Dan Hirsch, who did the compact disc mastering, and then John Golden, who did the album one. I mean, they literally had people for specific media of this record so they definitely took it seriously as a sound entity here so uh, i think that there's nothing wrong with the production of this album whatsoever and a funny thing i just wanted to point out really quickly before we end you were talking about the connections to black sabbath on here in the thank yous there's actually a thank you on here to jd guitars which as we all know is tony iomi's uh sg is a jd guitar it's not a blood it's not a gibson he has a JD model of the SG, and it's funny that they mentioned that in here. I'm wondering how much Black Sabbath actually did have involvement with this album in when it's all said and done. The DNA. And the cover, and the cover sorry, I have to agree with Lonnie. I mean, as fantastic as it looks as a cover like on Big, it, to me, the first thing that I thought when I looked at this is, what the hell does Blue Murder have to do with this cover? It's, I'm just looking at water here. Like, what does that have to do with with Blue Murder? You know, what are they saying? That people die in water? You know, people are getting killed in water. It's Blue Murder. I don't understand. Like, and, and the text of this, you know, as, you know, grandiose as they tried to make it, if it was any more overblown than this, it would have turned into one of these kind of like black metal album logos that you can't read at all. You know what I mean? Uh, I think it's—I don't think it's a very good logo, to be honest with you. And I love this record, so like I said, I'm gonna cut, call it like I see it, right straight down the middle. You know, so uh, I think the 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 front cover is is a disaster. I mean, it has nothing to do with the name of the album or anything. I don't know what they're trying to say with it. Hair metal pomposity. I mean, that's nearly as bad as Great White, their debut album <laughs> oh, logo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah shot in the too. dark. The, I mean, those yeah. are horrendous covers, yeah. which really don't do justice to the contents. Bob Rock's production, again, I've said it already, fantastic. The DNA of this album is right there with Coverdale Page, White Snake, 1987, um, Ingves. Which one did I say? Uh, uh, Odyssey. <laughs> Odyssey. Thank you. I, I keep thinking Eclipse for some reason. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm going to go back and mix it in with all of those on, in a single playlist and listen to, you know, my work in the morning. Um, you know, thank you for making me listen to this, because otherwise I never would have. 
mm-hmm. and there's some there is some really good music on it that's one thing that really is interesting for us to dig through all right let's get to our next album pick you guys who listen to this show are gonna get to pick our next episode which will be after another wasp episode by the way um lonnie pick an album my album is velvet revolvers contraband Ooh, nice from one. 2004 be really fun to dive into the history of how that came together uh the collaboration between slash duff scott wyland matt sorum and dave kushner i think it'd be really fun to to explore that take a deeper dive into that nice i actually own the whole catalog ken my album pick is Love Drive by the Scorpions. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, good pick. <laughs> I would have gone with Lonesome Crow, but there we go. Mark. Okay. Well, since I was trying to rock my brain, the one record I wouldn't mind doing, and I'm, I'm sure they're not going to pick this, but I'm going to pick... The Genesis 1983 self-titled, the the shapes one that has Mama and all that on it. Wait, which one? Yeah, Genesis 1983, like the 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 one with the shapes album. They, it's just it's it's self-titled, but people call it shapes because it has all those little shapes on the front cover of it. They have different colors on different mm-hmm. uh, yeah, ver- you know, pressings of it, right? That's no, that's Abacab. That's Abacab. Oh, I'm getting mixed up. My Genesis records. Genesis. The one that has Mama on it. And, okay. You know. mm, okay. I'm Mama. I'm I'm struggling here. I still want to say Zodiac Mind Warp, but I've done so many other <laughs> podcasts with one of those albums. I think I've got to go. You know what? Let's do Rock City Angels. Young Man's Blues on Geffen as well from this era. And it is completely different from what was their catalog prior to that. They were supposed to be a contender with Guns N' Roses, but they basically got buried. And, well, they got reinvented, first of all, and then buried by Geffen so that Guns could... Uh, I think Lonnie would enjoy that, actually. Mm-hmm. So, great album. Really, really good album and completely different than the rest of their catalog. So... Um, you guys pick one of those wherever you listen to us and that'll be our next episode while we delve into that yeah okay ken stop try, stop trying to swing the election yeah i'm trying to swing the votes all right so that's it for this episode mark thank you for selecting blue murder thank you for listening to this show thank you for making this deep into it and selecting our next episode for us uh so for now from mark from lonnie ken and myself thanks for joining us and we will see you next time thank you for watching or listening to this episode be sure to subscribe to us like us or even leave us a review you can find us and join the conversation on facebook (laughs) 